Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. This is Scott Durfee, joined as always by the one and only Dave Durfee. What's up, Dave? Well, Scott, I'm enjoying our conversations, the last few we've had. And, you know, I think I think this part of uh, our, our course on repentance and forgiveness is something that I personally need so much help with that it just seems so relevant, and I always love it when we can talk about this because it gives me so much personally to work on. I mean, this is kind of the meat and potatoes or where the rubber hits the road or however, I don't know, our listeners want to see it. But th- this is really kind of the, the bottom line. I know we we call forgiving others and forgiving ourselves as a manifestation of our repentance, but it it's also really kind of the bottom line of our repentance is the the gift, the gift. It is a gift to be able to forgive ourselves and to forgive our others, a gift from God, a gift that comes to us through the Holy Ghost. So uh, it's just, I just always love reviewing this for my own personal sake and benefit, and I hope it's a blessing others uh, who may be listening. Definitely a benefit to to me as well. I think last episode I shared a personal experience that I had in being slow or feeling like it was slow to forgive. And, uh, you know, this this is something for me too, and I think it has pretty much universal application here. The, the, this is something that is difficult for me um, on, on, on several levels. And, and depending on the situation, it, it can be more difficult or less difficult. And depending on the person to whom I need to extend forgiveness, it can be more difficult or less difficult. And, you know, there's, I, you know we talked earlier, I think that there's some, there's some categories. I don't, we don't really love using that word, but there's, there's some there's some things that I think that can that you helped me to be able to understand that we can help us in our forgiveness process here uh, and and that's really about the way that we forgive you know why is it that for some some of us sometimes it's easy for us to forgive others but not ourselves right. well, you know right. and, and there's so many other I things can think of individuals that fit that description yeah. They they forgive everybody except themselves. I've been that person before. I don't know if I ever have. I think I have. (laughs) Yeah, I think I have. And you know, and and we'll get into this. You know, there's there's a couple of things that come into this: shame and guilt. And you know, we get back to the old payoff. There's some payoff sometimes to not forgiving ourselves too. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Well, let's let's. So, for example, if if I if I'm not forgiving myself, if I if I abase myself. Uh, then, you know, through that putting myself down, I think it kind of relieves me of the, some responsibility, mm. some responsibility to step up. Or, Woe is me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Partly. Or maybe even some responsibility to respond to some feelings that I've had to for service or leadership or, or teaching or yeah. whatever the case okay. may be, you mm-hmm. know, because it lulls me away. Again, we get back to that. That scripture in Second Nephi twenty-eight, uh, you know, it lulls me mm-hmm. away into carnal security. That is carnal security sometimes to feel, hey, I'm just so far broken. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive yeah. myself. Yeah. Okay. So there's that group. That, what's what's another one? Well, that, so, that, so let's read number one. Number one is it's easy for me to forgive myself, but it's a little more difficult for me to forgive others. That's okay. the first one. Okay. The second one, I, it's really hard for somebody, it's really, I'm just going to use the, I mean, I put it all in I form. Um, it's really e- It's really difficult for me to forgive others, but I can forgive myself really easily. Hmm. That's the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I, can, I see people who do that. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a little bit of a form of self-righteousness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, pride, the pride that... Uh, you know, not seeing our own sins, you know, not seeing our own uh, wretchedness, as Nephi puts it, um, uh, is is a problem for many. And as a result, they they see the huge, this is the beam and the 
the beam and, and the, the moat. The moat, right? That's right. That Jesus describes. Yeah, that's a problem for for me and for I think many others. Yeah, I I think you know, you and I have talked both. Uh, there's a, a a guy, a philosopher at BYU, see Terry Warner, who d- developed this program. He started the Arbinger Group, and a, a lot of what is uh, talked about in there is how we see each other. Yeah. That's what it really boils down to. Do we see each other as people, or do we see each other as objects, or do we see each other as insignificant or indifferent? It yeah. really comes down to, and and in the objects, uh, there's a I or it exactly. You it, know, yeah. And there's a couple of things in the objects we can see people as vehicles. You know, where we use people to get us to get things done, or we see them as obstacles where they stand as barriers in us wanting to receive what we want to receive. And I think a lot of that mindset comes into that, why is it difficult for me to forgive? Mm-hmm. Not just myself, but others, mm-hmm. but maybe even more others, because, you know, and they use in that program, in the Arbinger group, they use they use words like horribleize. You know, I horribleize what others have done, and I, and I, um, I, what's the word for what I've done? I extol Minimize. my, I, or I extol virtues that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Or or or, yeah. or 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 make them bigger than than they really really are, you know. And I have a way of, we have a way as humans of of kind of being able to do all that too. So that's another one, you know. Slow to forgive others, but it's easy to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, third one. Well, this one I think, and, and maybe we all kind of fall into all of these uh, from time to time, or For sure, uh, you we know. Do. And, and maybe know and, and maybe we can exist in. Several of these different stages of our life, or even simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, So you know, maybe. uh, So the the third one, and and these are in no particular order. We've just this is the way that David has kind of laid them out here. But the next one is is I don't I I can't forgive others, and I can't forgive myself. Yeah, (laughs) what a miserable way to live. But we see it. And and I've been there too. You know, I've been in situations where it was hopeless. That's it. That's a way to. That's a really good way to describe that. They've Hopeless hope. feelings of despair. No faith. Right. And then finally, and and I think this is the one that we all strive for, and that's it's easy for me to forgive others, and it's easy easy for me to appropriately forgive myself. And easy may not be the right word. No, but but to, for the lack of a better word, and that's Able why able and willing. And that's why I use the word appropriate the too. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, for ourselves, you know. Simple. Yeah, I, I'm willing, I can, this is something that I can accomplish, is a forgiveness of others and a forgiveness of myself. But I think it's important that for me, I throw in that descriptor of being an appropriate forgiveness of myself. Because I think a lot of times, some of us, I've been guilty of this, uh, really guilty of this, where, you know, I can almost become past feeling. Yeah. Uh, uh, in certain things, I really can, yeah, and I, it's almost embarrassing to say that, but it's true, you know. It's and true it, for all of us, Scott. And and it, and, it, and that's been a way we that we become desensitized. Yeah, and that past feeling ness mm-hmm. kind of uh, was the undertow of yeah. my life for you know, in a lot of our lives. So you know, I, all I of think our lives in different areas to a, to a large degree. Yeah, we become desensitized because of repetition of sin. Yeah, know? yeah. And we totally rationalize. Well, or we blame, or we have excluded ourselves the right of having the spirit with us. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have uh, done things that uh, do not allow the spirit mm, of so the, true. of our heavenly Father to be with us, then then we can begin to. You know, a lot of times we think of when the spirit's not with me, then I can then I jump into yeah. a, a morose or a yeah. or a, a you know a, a feeling of despair or despondency. But yeah. that's not that's not the only way that we can respond to that. Sometimes we can respond to a lack of spirit in our life with bravado, with arrogance, yeah. with uh, you know oh, feelings oh. of I'm better than or you know uh, things of that nature as well. If I don't have the spirit, how can I help but not sin? That's right. <laughs> so if he wants me not to sin, he better give me his spirit. That's what's wrong here. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I, I had a friend who was excommunicated from the church, and he'd been out of the church for several years, lost his membership, and and I'm trying to be a missionary, and I love him to death. We're, we're close friends, and 
and I, uh, after playing racquetball together one day, uh, we're talking, and I'm saying, you know, what's it going to take? What is it going to take? How, and how long is it going to take before we get you back into the church? And he, I'll never forget this, he said to me, David, you don't get it. When they took my membership away from the church and I lost the gift of the Holy Ghost, he said, it was like somebody put me in a dark room and turned out the lights and I can't find the switch. I remember thinking, not only was it very sad, but as I thought about it driving home later, I thought, wow, that's pathetic. Yeah. That is really pathetic. Now, I, I, again, I'm not condemning. Yeah. And I'm not I, condemning because I, I, I love him, but, but I thought, wow, there, at some point you have to take some responsibility for that and find the switch, and it may be... Um, you know, may not receive full light, or there. I mean, there's always like like we keep talking about. There's always a payoff for right. people's attitudes and feelings and perspectives. Scott. That's right. Yeah, there is. I, I remember when I was when I went through that process, and I was put in that proverbial dark room, as your friend just described it. And, and I remember feeling like I, there's got to be a light switch, you know, and just to go along with your. But but you know, but and I'm gonna find it. <laughs> Or, or and with, that God's became, help, that eventually, with God's help, with God's help, I can find it. And that eventually became my attitude. It wasn't maybe right out of the... Yeah, that's not true. I, I got to give myself more credit on that because it has, it was actually my uh, it, my intent right out of the gate was to find that light. I, I felt it. But, you know, here's here's the interesting thing about that, that, that observation from your friend. Um, the Holy Ghost had left a long time ago. Right. It was. Right, Scott, it, it, it had I been. Thinking that it had been gone for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't an event mm-hmm. that took place that night, that morning, that day, whatever, in the stake center, That's and in that membership council that said, "Okay, Holy Ghost, the door's mm-hmm. locked. You got to go out now." The Holy Ghost hadn't been present for a very long time, yeah. not on a constant basis, right. not not as the gift of the Holy Ghost is bestowed upon us yeah, would true. would do. And, and so I remember feeling that those feelings too when I was in that place but it, it it if if we can just begin to put aside our own pride uh, feelings that come up you know in in from our pride or from fear or from just natural uh, phenomenon that takes place as being part of a a culture uh, sometimes we get these feelings of guilt and shame that pop up. Yeah. And when that guilt and shame pops up, that can really move us from, you know, we kind of laid out four different linear, you know, if you will, categories here. Yeah, classifications. Classifications. Let's use it that way. You know, but we can move depending on our our spiritual condition. And I love it to talk about it that way. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I I can't remember exactly the page, um, but it's in the fifth chapter. I know that as, as we go through these processes, and it's not untrue there, it's the same kind of truth there, that as we begin to clean house um, and invite God into our lives and, you know, make things right, which includes forgiveness, which includes repentance for us, uh, and, and all of those other things, that as we begin to do this, though, then we begin to have the Spirit come into our lives. And as those things come in, then it's easier for us to understand the differences between guilt and shame and where those things are guiding us. And we understand, too, that that guilt and shame can be a product or a byproduct, if you will, of our fear and pride. Yeah. Okay, so the the first, again, the first classification, Scott, which we've spent, I think, the last two podcasts on. Yeah is to help us to be able to uh, forgive others. Right. Right. We ha- and, and there are many who are not able to forgive give themselves, and I want to spend more time on that. So let's talk about that in regards to how can we be able to um, more readily forgive ourselves. And you've hit on, I think, one of the key elements of that is identifying the difference between guilt and shame. 
Guilt starts with G, and that's of God, Scott. Uh, guilt gets a bad rap. Guilt is of God. Uh, I never forget reading a book that had a profound effect on me called The Gift of Pain. Uh, it was a book about, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the author, but it was a book about the last leprosy colony in the in the mainland United States. I, I think we still have a leprosy colony in the United States, but it's but it's in Hawaii. Did you know that? I did not. And the last one in the mainland of the United States was in Louisiana. Mm. And uh, this was the doctor director of that uh, of that uh, leprosy colony. And I didn't know that leprosy was a a nerve disease, a nerve disorder where the nerves are actually eaten, damaged or or uh, uh, damaged so badly, destroyed that that they feel no pain. And as a result of feeling no pain, they are it's kind of like being your whole body being numbed scott like after you go to the dentist and your mouth's numb and what do you do when you're a kid chew your tongue you chew your tongue <laughs> and what happens after it doesn't ha- just happen when you're a kid that happened to me a couple weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> and so you come out of it right yeah and you, and there, you have this unbelievable pain or sores or damage that you've caused well leprosy works something like that that where people don't feel the, the, their feet, they they develop these sores, these putrid sores on their body because they can't feel the, the pain. Their nerves don't work. They, they don't feel the pressure. They don't feel the pain. As a result, they get these blisters because they're not, their body is not reacting. Their body is not balancing it out, uh, their, themselves out because of the pressure or pain that they're supposed to feel, but they don't. And that's wh- that's how these sores and all of that takes place, and eventually uh, through infection or other things, it will destroy them. So he talked about the gift we call pain. Pain is a gift. I also remember a story I read in Reader's Digest many years ago about these two boys. I th- can't remember if they were twins or not, but but brothers, possibly twins, who were born, and I can't remember the condition, where their nerves were damaged, and they felt no pain. And the mother was telling this, this uh, horrendous story of how difficult it was to raise these two sons who didn't live very long because they would run out in front of they felt no pain. They had no fear. Uh, she she caught them one day jumping off the house with their legs broken, fractured, and they were still jumping off the house. And they just became completely handicapped. And and uh, I mean that that's an example of what we take for granted: pain, guilt causes us pain spiritual pain i believe it's a gift from god scott uh it's it's of god it helps us to recognize when we have sinned it's like touching a a a stove you immediately react from god-given guilt and what a blessing that we do and we don't that, that was another thing i remember that is the burns that these boys had putting their hand on the stove and thinking it was cool watching their, you know, smelling their skin burn, their flesh burn. Anyway, awful. And so guilt is such a blessing. Shame, on the other hand, is is evil. It's, it's um, I, I think it's interesting how the word ashamed is almost always a negative in the scriptures. They were ashamed. Shame is of Satan. It is uh, self-centered. It it is uh, it creates all kinds of false uh, perspective of who we are. It's 
definitely shows a a lack of faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement. It totally causes us to look inward. Uh, we seek sometimes to hide it. Guilt, on the other hand, is is outward. It's forthcoming. It's confessing. It's acknowledging. That's what guilt is. Guilt's out in the open. Shame is hidden in a closet somewhere in our heart, and we harbor it. Uh, I, I just think it's really important for all of us to understand the difference uh, between the two and uh, to just really recognize that that guilt is such a blessing, and it's uh, it's really focused on Jesus Christ and his atonement. It's It's the understanding that we have sinned, while shame, on the other hand, is something that we seek to hide, and Satan is a part of that, and he tries to, through shame, this is really the problem with shame, Scott, he wants us to, uh, I, he wants our identity to become what our sins are. Yeah. Right? So he, it focuses more on our on our character than it does our behavior. Uh, guilt focuses more on our behavior uh, that I have sinned. Uh, shame, on the other hand, we start to think if we have a pornography addiction that I'm a, that's just who I am. I'm a pervert. And all of a sudden we begin to identify our character with the nature of our sin. Mm-hmm. That is totally evil and, and wrong that we do that. And that's what shame causes us to do. Yeah. <clears throat> the book you referenced, uh, The Gift of Pain, is written by a Philip Yancey and a Dr. Paul Brand. So I'd recommend... Paul, Dr. Paul Brand was the director. Uh, that our, Amazing book. Our readers, uh, maybe take a look at... Uh, I just looked it up, and it's available on Amazon and many other places. Well, getting back to guilt and shame, you know, you, you, you make some really important and poignant points around the concepts of guilt and shame. And again, in not just in the church, but in recovery and in, in life and in, in so many areas, uh, you know, in our own circles of influence, of our own cultures, this guilt and shame thing has really um, been a problem since the beginning of time. Right? I mean, even in the, uh, even in the Garden of Eden. I hid myself. Hide. Uh, right. Yeah, Satan, Satan commands them. Exactly. Because you're naked, hide. Because God can see everything that's wrong with you, you should hide. Yeah. Right? right. Guilt is, you know what? I ate the fruit, and because I ate the fruit, um, there's going to be a price to pay, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to have to uh, to go through some process here, but there's, a, but there's a plan in place for this, and that yeah, plan ultimately exactly. will allow me to not just put this behind me, but to eventually receive exaltation. And, and so, you know, that's the guilt and that's the shame. A lot of times I've heard it said in recovery uh, and in other places, recovery doesn't just have the corner on all these really cool sayings. It's just where I spend a lot of time, right? But the uh, a lot of times in recovery, when we talk about guilt and shame, we differentiate them by realizing that guilt means I made a mistake, as you mentioned. Yeah. I just made a mistake. Right. And, and because of the, and that's a or, gift. Or that, sinned. Which is a mistake, right? And and so those uh, that that uh, sin, that mistake, that guilt that I feel because of that is a gift to me because mm-hmm. it helps me keep my ship on course. Right. Where shame, so guilt means I made a mistake. Shame, as you mentioned, comes from the enemy, comes from Satan. He wants us to believe in shame. He wants us to, you know, we talk about. I remember thinking and hearing this even shame on you. <laughs> you know, for doing something, shame on you. It's part of our culture, you know, and and it goes all the way back to public floggings and and even back to the law of Moses. You know, it felt like there was some shame involved there, maybe with the uh, the stoning, you know, in front of everybody and various things. But when it comes to shame, that is Satan inspiring us to believe that I am a mistake. Yeah, oh, I love that. Guilt yeah. is I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Shame is. I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we try to hide it so much. You know, uh, just again, guilt is from God, and it is quick, should be quickly replaced with gratitude. Mm-hmm. 
for the atonement of Jesus Christ. Shame, on the other hand, shame is of Satan, and it fills us with selfish, self-centered thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Guilt turns us to God. Yeah. And shame turns us inward to ourselves. I think a lot of times when we think of selfishness and inwardness and, you know, even to the extreme of narcissism, that we think of things that would produce positive outcome, you know. But, but uh, you know, a lot of times selfishness can also produce negative outcome, and this is what we're talking about here. And again, there's a payoff. Yeah. <laughs> there's a payoff to this, right? It's so important to, for, for me, for you, all of us, to, to really consider what that may be. Anyway, to forgive ourselves, we have to be able to identify the difference, Scott, between guilt and shame, because those who feel true guilt as a gift, will be able to work out their repentance. But for those who feel shame, they don't work out their repentance, and they never do feel free. No. And they're not able, unless they brainwash themselves, which isn't really forgiving themselves at all. Right. Uh, they're never free from, from the feeling that they'll never they're never going to to be good enough. Right, and a proper response to guilt will put us in that contrite spirit mode, which is the alignment of our will with Heavenly Father's. That's the the correct response to guilt will do that for us. There is no, the only correct response to shame is to put it aside, to, to eradicate it from our lives. The only way we can eradicate shame from our lives is to focus on our connection with the Savior. Yeah. Good, correct. I, I love the uh, talk given by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland um, several years ago, back in 2009. I think it was January 2009. BYU speeches, BYU devotional, called Remember Lot's Wife. I really recommend that to all of us to, to read or reread. It's so, so great here about... Uh, you know, Lot, the story of Lot's wife and fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah and her commanded not to look back or she'll turn to a pillar of salt, and she does. And there's interesting commentaries and interpretations about that. But but it's also maybe a, a metaphor for some of us, which Elder Holland, brilliantly as he always does, makes a whole talk about it. And uh, just two paragraphs from that talk, Scott, that I think applies here. Elder Holland says, When something is over and done with, when it has been repented of as fully as it can be repented of, when life has moved on as it should, and a lot of other wonderfully good things have happened since then, it is not right to go back over and over again and open up some ancient wound that the Son of God himself died trying to heal. When repentance is sincere, when honest effort is being made to progress, we are guilty of the greater sin if we keep remembering and choosing to recall and rebash someone with their earlier mistakes. And that someone might be ourselves. We can be so hard on ourselves, often so much more than on others. So I, I, it's the metaphor of Lot's wife. You, why turn around and look back? Uh, somebody wrote in a book on this subject years ago that while you're driving, don't keep your you 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 spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror. You're not going to be able to progress moving ahead. Yeah, you're going to. It's going to be a a, a, yeah. a big accident waiting to happen if you're trying to drive a car forward while you're looking in the rearview mirror. 
Well, and it's not just that Lot's wife looked back, and I think we need to always remember this too, because it's, it can be important for us sometimes to remember. Sometimes our memory of those guilt situations, uh, you know, we do need to remember those. Those memories can also be a gift, but it's the fact that she looked back longingly. Yeah. She looked that's back what, and wanted... That's what many commentaries believe. ...to be there, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, someday I'm, I want to know more about that Me event. Too. yeah. Her, her heart, motivation, what really happened yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Elder Richardson said this years ago, forgiving oneself of a sin does not excuse, does not mean excusing oneself for sinning. When we forgive a sin, we neither say it is okay, nor that payment will not be required. So do you get that? When we forgive a sin, including ourselves, we neither say it's okay, nor that payment will not be required. In other words, somebody had to pay for it, right? And it's immediately, we should think our thoughts should go to Jesus Christ. I think one of the biggest problems, Scott, of not being able to forgive ourselves and, and or not being able to forgive others is because we don't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ and that he paid the punishment. He paid the penalty. He met the demands of justice. And some of us continue to try to beat ourselves up. We continue to try to make the payment, or we, we demand the payment from others. We're going to make them pay, and so we disdain them. We try to, we tr- we try to sabotage them or sabotage our relationship. We're going to cause them pain for what they did, because we think that's the way redemption or forgiveness should work. It's the way we balance the scale. That's, that's a mockery of the atonement of Jesus Christ, God. Hmm. It's a mockery of the atonement of Jesus Christ to think that I can make full payment or that I demand payment from anyone else who has sinned against me or me make payment for any sin that I've committed. Yeah. Elder Richardson goes on and says, Rather, forgiveness allows us to turn both the final judgment of guilt and the full payment of debt over to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has said, Leave judgment alone with me, for it is mine, and I will repay. That's the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so I, I again think that one of the, in all of those four classifications, if we, if we really uh, went down below the surface, the key to each of those, uh, even more than, than certain character traits, is what is their understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ? Because understanding the atonement of Jesus Christ, which the which is the major foundation of repentance itself, should just naturally, will naturally, help us to forgive, give ourselves and forgive others by not to, by not holding a payment or punishment over our heads. It's it's isn't it? it we're, we're like spiritual masochists that we, we keep wanting to just beat ourselves up over and over and over again for sins that we've committed or mistakes that we've made. Uh, I just, Elder Holland again in that same talk, remembering Lot's wife, he says that when, when honest effort is being made to progress, we are guilty of the greater sin if we keep remembering and recalling and rebashing someone, which may be even ourselves. That's a greater sin, Scott. We we because we just keep hurting others, which again may be ourselves. And if we're hurting ourselves, if we're not forgiving ourselves, Scott, we are hurting others because we're not the person that we could be or that we should be, or we are denying the full miracle and blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, which affects everyone who knows us. 
that's important with everything that we do here. You know, weeks ago, probably maybe even months ago, we, we said we can't sin in a bubble. Because even because right. even our sin, you know, even you know, we and I think we talked about it, you know, as it had to do with pornography addiction, maybe or something like that. But even though people don't know, or even though these things are within us or private or whatever, they're really not, because they do affect others that we're around. They affect our attitudes. They affect the way that we interact. They affect the way that we behave, uh, and so on. And so, yeah, th- this is an, an extremely important uh, part of it as well. And I think um, even the misunderstanding or the lack of understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ is a factor in not forgiving ourselves. And I think it goes back to our earlier podcast, one of our first podcasts. It's a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding, Scott, of the doctrine of the fall of Adam and Eve. Who do we think that we are? What what do we think about our whole purpose and the plan of redemption? And we sin, and we... I mean, Scott, this was all part of the plan, that we would sin. There's no surprises to God. He knew that we would sin. I know God cannot justify sin. He cannot look upon it with the least degree of allowance. I get that. But he knew that we would. He's not shocked. He's not wringing his hands. He's not throwing his head back and his ha- hand to his forehead saying, oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. There's, there's nothing about sin that has surprised him or that has disdained that he looks upon an individual as maybe someone who has sinned, right? But he still looks upon them knowing their past, their present, and their future, and sees them as his child. And his love is always there for them. So uh, I I think that part of the problem of not forgiving ourselves is a lack of understanding or misunderstanding of the uh, the fall of Adam and Eve. I think another reason people don't forgive themselves, or it's hard to forgive ourselves, Scott, is uh, a lack of faith, which we we discussed in a podcast. The lack of faith in the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. People believe, they have faith in Jesus Christ, and they may believe that, uh, in which category is this, that he forgives everybody else, that the atonement of Jesus Christ is there, for everybody else, but it's not there for me. Yeah, that's the first category we talked about. You know, that I, I can forgive others because I know God does, forgives them, but he doesn't forgive me. And, and I think it, it actually can be more difficult, Scott, I think, for us to forgive others than to forgive ourselves when and because we know what we were thinking when we sinned and we know how accountable we are or not we we know what we did wrong and we know why we did it we 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 sometimes don't know that or make that judgment about others uh, we know we knew better and we want to beat ourselves up in order to, that we won't do it again well, and there's there's a part of that beat ourselves up too that kind of gives us some satisfaction, I think, towards this flogging ourselves exactly, cutting, cutting spiritually punishment, cutting ourselves right, 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 right. Because you know, in, in our culture, and I think in most cultures, you know, the uh, the uh, the consequence for sin or most a lot of misgivings has been some sort of physical punishment or punishment at just punishment period in the past and you know and there is a um when we talked about what sin is not you know we know that there are consequences that come because of our actions and that those consequences can come as a very negative experience in our lives you know for example you know we uh, last week talked about cameron and and uh, uh chris williams williams who he who uh, Cameron had, uh, you know, in it unintentionally, but had nonetheless perpetrated a grave 
problem for this family. He he had driven drunk, and uh, several lives were lost because of that. But you know, we uh, we he knows the uh, things that he's gone through, and and he believes, and and maybe a lot of us would believe. Uh, and I'm not saying he believes this because I have knowledge of this, but I'm just you know kind of wondering if you know this is sometimes where we go that that maybe i need extra if you knew how bad i think that's one of the secrets that we have uh, that we think when we meet other people that people when people love us and people who are the type that would be more likely more less likely to forgive themselves might be in this category whereas if you only knew me yeah. If you only knew this about me, what I well, don't want you to know, and Deb always says that in our institute mm-hmm. class, one of the questions that sometimes we need to overcome is, is it, what I don't want you to know about me is this. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's those kind of private yeah. um, self-awarenesses or self-esteems, as erroneous as they may be, that keep us i i kind of think in that category where you know i just feel like i need to get beat up i feel like i need to need to be punished for it and and there's never enough punishment yeah uh isn't that sad scott yeah but it's true it is true we've all <laughs> we've all ex- experienced that and it's it's so dangerous and uh sad to think how sin opens us up to satan who wants us to identify again ourselves with our with our sin? sin. He, and as soon as he does that, Scott, he's really got us. Yeah. Um, we need to know who we are and whose we are. I, I've read a I read an interesting scripture. I gotta grab my Bible here. I read another interesting scripture not long ago, uh, a few weeks ago, in Isaiah forty three, studying Isaiah, and I was. In chapter 43, I came across this verse. It's the first verse. In fact, this is, a, this is such a beautiful chapter. Uh, chapter 43, Isaiah, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. And thou art mine. Wow, I when I read that, I really felt the spirit of that, Scott. And it really affected me for a long time. It still affects me. But, you know, Israel and Jacob wasn't... There was nothing too righteous about them in the middle of Isaiah here where he's calling them to repentance. I mean, they're, they're in bad shape. And uh, and they're sinning, and and Isaiah has been the prophet to calm to repentance, and he actually ends up becoming a martyr. But through this prophet, God is still reaching out continually to Jacob and Israel, and telling them, "I have redeemed thee. You just need to know who you are, and especially that you're mine." I think that is so, so powerful. Even in your sins, you are still mine. And uh, I, I just hope that our listeners can begin. Fear not. We need to eliminate the fear. Uh, so much of our fears are based upon our lack of understanding of who we are, and not knowing whose we are. That we belong to Him. That we are His. In fact, I think fear, Scott, is a major reason why people have a hard time forgiving themselves. Uh, One of the reasons fear comes into play is because they're afraid, their lack of faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ and in the enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. People are afraid that they're going to commit the sin again and again and again. That's, That's part of the fear, right? And they have... They have fear if they're not fully repented that uh, they're never going to be able to return to the presence of God, so they lose hope. They have fear of moving on, and they have fear of change. They, they fear of, of what, what will the change in my life really look like. I mean, I fear change. I don't know if I want to quit my sinning. 
I don't know if I want to really forgive myself and move on. And they fear that. They fear uh, if Satan can place fear into our hearts, he can totally uh, shut us down and keep us not only from trying to repent, but he can ultimately keep us from recognizing uh, repentance or, or forgiveness in our life. And keep us from forgiving ourselves. Yeah, you you said something about remembering. You know, it's important for us to remember so much. Remember who we are. Remember whose we are. Remember who they are. Remember whose they are, etc. And, and you know, we think. And I and I've heard this. It's easy for you to say remember. Remember is not easy for me to remember who I am. Some people will say that's not easy for me. Well, there's an anecdote for that and it's right in the scripture, you know, and and we get as an anecdote for that is actually a member of the Godhead that helps us to remember who we are. If we go to John 14 verses 26 through 27, this is an old missionary scripture. We're all probably very familiar with it, but the comforter which is the Holy ghost. And just think of that name alone, the comforter to bring me comforter, um, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Yeah. All Actually, things, who you, are, who you are, whose you are, probably top top among those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if we're Love if we're God. struggling with who we are, if we're struggling with that remembering who we are, and, and I really do believe that if we do remember, if we know who we are, if we have those rememberings uh, alive and well on a constant basis in our lives, I think that this process, I'm not saying it's going to be easy ever for anybody. I mean, this is a mortal process. This is, it does take some effort. It does take some work on our part, but it's not impossible. In fact, it becomes increasingly more possible. In fact, it can be done with grace and ease, I would submit, if we remember who we are. But in order for us to do that, we must maintain a relationship that will allow the Spirit of the Holy Ghost to be alive and well in our lives, Mm. always. I love that, Scott. So, uh, Scott, I I have some antidotes. You use that term. I have some antidotes. Uh, for people, for our listeners, for you and me, our families, to uh, consider on things that they can do in order to forgive themselves, okay? So I've had hundreds of students thank me for this list who have come back. And if if you really put in the effort, you use the word effort. I love President Nelson's... (laughs) Uh, exclamation mark statement. God loves effort. <laughs> it takes effort. These are gifts, but to receive these gifts takes effort. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna list maybe five or six of of these, and I maybe I'm gonna start with the first one to know who and whose you are, and don't forget it. And allow the Holy Ghost to help you to always remember it. Second, humility. Humility, which is the result of striving to live a righteous life, Scott. Humility helps us to be more dependent on Christ and his redeeming atonement than upon our own efforts. Humility is a result of knowing that man can merit nothing of himself. That's also part of our identity. Our identity, to know who we really are, that we're humans, that we are meritless. We can merit nothing of ourselves. To know that and to, to, to depend upon the atonement of Jesus Christ, that's true humility. That's what humility is. Next, Searching the scriptures, that takes great effort with, with the desire to understand the universal effects of the fall and the power of the infinite atonement. If, if we could just really get into the words, God, the word of God, and to understand the truths of the doctrine of the fall of all mankind and the atonement of Jesus Christ, we would begin to see ourselves and others and our sins as they really are. 
Next is praying with all energy of heart to be filled with perfect love, charity, pure love of Christ, which casteth out all fear and all other negative emotions. That's, that comes from Moroni 7, 48. To, to pray with all energy of heart for this love, uh, Moroni exhorts us. Uh, anyway, I, I just think that's something that we've talked a lot about in our podcast, and I hope people continue to experiment with it and apply that in their life. Next is learning of Jesus Christ as he invites us to do, which includes his character, his mercy, and his grace, which will help us to be forgiven and to feel forgiven and then to forgive ourselves. And finally, Scott, which I want to spend the rest of our time on the few minutes that we have left. Finally, knowing that when we feel the Holy Ghost in our life, the atonement of Christ is doing its work, and we are being forgiven, or we have been forgiven. I I just love that uh, quote from President Eyring, that when we feel the Holy Ghost, we know the atonement is working in our life. I think, Scott, ultimately to forgive ourselves. It is quite simple, not always easy, but it's quite simple when we know that God has forgiven us. Therefore, the key to forgive ourselves is to know that we are forgiven, to know where we stand with God. Well, in order to do that, he's given us a list of several examples, you know, of how to know that we're forgiven. Um, Maybe we can just look at a few of these, right? Doctrine and Covenants, uh, Scott, if you want to, let's let's read a few of these. Doctrine and Covenants, section 6. Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, Revelation through the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, Oliver Cowdery, when a few days after Oliver Cowdery had gone down to Harmony and in, inquires of Joseph Smith uh, what, what the Lord would have him do, and 623. Scott, please. He says, Did not I speak peace unto your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? I know people feel that from time to time, but Satan can either mask it or we don't dwell on it enough. We're not mindful enough to identify it and to allow it to dwell with us long enough and we get too too much caught up in all the uh, distractions uh, of the world and the noise of the world that we don't identify the peace which the Holy Ghost will bring into our life as we seek to repent and there is no greater witness than peace when it comes to repenting and forgiving so Here's another one, Scott. Let's let's go to Second Nephi, uh, four thirty and thirty one. You know, this is after Nephi has declared, "O wretched man that I am," and he's obviously in the state of repentance in this chapter. "O wretched man that I am," and yet I know in whom I have trusted. Listen to what he says in verses thirty and thirty one. Nephi. He says, "Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say." O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and the rock of my salvation. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me from the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? So I I think there's a couple of things in this. What what do you see, Scott? The very last one. Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? <laughs> Man, we should all pray for that, huh? Yeah, no kidding. We should yeah. all pray for that. But how do we know? How did Nephi know that he was forgiven? It wasn't necessarily that he did shake at the appearance of sin, right? Yeah. It's his attitude that he wanted 
to shake at the appearance of sin. He was willing to pray for that. He sought that. That was his desire. So he he identifies several desires in there. This desire that he has to rejoice. He's rejoicing to his God. He is filled with gratitude and with the desire not to sin anymore. These are all evidences. It's it's so evident as you read his words, and in fact that whole chapter yeah. as you go through it, that he has repented and that he has been forgiven. And and another there's a whole group of people that experience a similar feeling in Mosiah chapter four, verses two and three. After King Benjamin has delivered his amazing discourse on the atonement of Jesus Christ in uh, in uh, Mosiah chapter 3, then we have this whole group of people who have pitched their tents around the temple and King Benjamin had built the tower. And, and after this discourse, we find them falling to the ground and, and try to, let's, let's listen carefully to this, and try to feel what they're feeling. Two and three. And they, had re- and they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. All right, so Scott, they understood the fall. Yeah. And they, and they all cried aloud with one voice, saying, Oh, have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created heaven and earth and all things, who shall come down among the children of man. So what are they feeling? an appreciation, a love, a connection to Jesus Christ because of his atoning blood. For yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And and expressing their their belief, their right. hope, their yeah. faith. Yeah. Right? They're they're filled with this the spirit, the this is the Holy Ghost that's causing these feelings in them. Okay? Uh, next verse. And, and it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. Isn't that a great verse? Yeah. yeah. How did they know they were forgiven? Yeah. What, was their, what was the emotion? The joy. They were filled with joy. And peace. And no doubt peace. Peace of conscience. Peace of conscience. Joy and peace. And why? Because of their exceeding faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how about Alma chapter 13? I have a whole list of these, but we'll just do one more, Scott. Alma chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, they are called after this holy order and were sanctified, and their garments were washed white through the blood of the Lamb. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white with pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, exceedingly great many, who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God. What, uh, I don't know, what word would you use or stand out to you in that verse, Scott, that uh, are evidence of their... Forgiveness. Well, the, their their garments had been washed through the blood of the lamb. They so there's clean. there's some faith there too, right? There's yeah, a, yeah. there's some the deep blood of there's the some deep faith in order for them to understand that. Um, you know, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, they could not look upon sin save it were, were with abhorrence. And so they they couldn't even look they couldn't even look at it without you know I would say without I I without saying getting sick to my stomach yeah you know <laughs> and and maybe that even includes Scott their past yeah their past sins yeah I'm sure it does right and that we talked a whole podcast on what it means to forsake yep to forsake our sins which means we don't even think about them and the reason we don't think about them is because they kind of make us sick to think yeah, about them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, God, I can remember all my sins. Yeah, I can remember all my sins, but it's not with any joy. No, it's it. I remember my sins, and I feel I feel great regret and abhorrence, 
And I actually think, Scott, so we, we've used the word joy and we've used the word peace, but I actually feel, I think one of the signs of repentance is that I feel abhorrence and I feel great regret for my sins. Mm. I think that's evidence yeah. that we have been forgiven of our sins, not just the joy and peace knowing that Christ has redeemed us, saved us, and forgiven us of sin. Well, I, ho- I hope that this will be helpful to those who are seeking to know where they stand. And I know that I testify my experience. I've seen this over and over again, thinking about several instances at the Missionary Training Center when I was there trying to help missionaries to repent. And uh, knowing that once they came to know and I, sweet testimonies and some letters I received from missionaries, once they came to know where they stood with God, they quickly were able to forgive themselves and move on and become, and become great instruments in the hands of God. And I, that would be my prayer for me and for you and for all of us. Folks, we hope you've felt the spirit. We hope that you have been able to ingest some of the wonderful, beautiful truths that uh, we talk about, we testify of. But most importantly, and above all things, we hope that this gives us an opportunity and a desire uh, through our gratitude to come unto him more fully as we feel the power of his atonement at work in our lives. Thanks for being with us today. Remember that you have been redeemed through his blood, and we look forward to being with you again next week.